0: Hello and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com.
1: Man, I am so excited to be with you guys this morning. I love our church. There is no other place I would rather be on a Sunday morning. You guys thankful for what God's doing here. Amen, amen. Uh, well, I am getting ready uh, to get married uh, here coming up in uh, in two weeks. So I think I got a picture here of me and my fiance. Beautiful fiance, Charlotte, uh, for sure the better half of me, and cannot wait uh, to be married to her at the end of October here. Uh, if you didn't recognize, there were some college students doing some different things today, and this is actually a college Sunday where we are just taking some time to celebrate everything that God is doing in our college ministry. So you saw Marley doing the welcome, Aiden was up here, we had some college worship leaders, uh, and you get to hear from me today. Uh, in the message. So uh, we really are just so thankful uh, for you as a church, how you have backed us as a college ministry, how you have been there for us over and over and over again. I just want to honor a couple of people. Uh, Giles, would you guys stand up real quick? Are the Nautilus here uh, or the Knights? Nots, Knights, Knights. First service, okay, great. Uh, The Guilds are our section parents in our college ministry. They actually shared this morning at our leader meeting, and we're so thankful for them. Can you guys give them a hand? Love you guys. And just to paint a little bit of a picture of how God is moving in our college ministry, we're actually going to have one of our students come and share a short testimony with us. So, AJ, why don't you come on up? There you are. Hi, uh, my name is
0: A.J. Hollis, and um, I am a sophomore here uh, at TCU. Um, so first off, more than um, a student at TCU, um, something that is so special to me um, truly is the fact um, that I do get to be a college, um, be, a, be a part of the college ministry um, here at Antioch, um, and I think that the reason that that is so special is because um, because of the authenticity um, and the passion um, that it brings. Um, and that's something that is so just special um, to me. And I know as I was coming uh, to school uh, last year, I was um, praying. And I was hoping that I would find a place that would um, not just encourage me, not just want to um, grow my love for the for, uh, for God, but to also come around others that are going to push me and encourage me. Um, to be the best uh, follower of Jesus that I can be. Um, So I originally am from Southern California and um, grew up uh, with three siblings um, and two parents who absolutely love the Lord. Um, And that's something I am so thankful for um, and something that I will continue um, just to thank God for. Um, And I I always loved the Lord, but once I came here uh, to Antioch and um, to TCU, um, I felt that there was this, there was something more. There was something, there was more of a, a passion, more of a drive, more of a um, a life to be lived with the Lord. Um, and as I was, um, whether it was going to different churches or different small groups or talking to different people, um, eventually just found myself at Antioch and felt the just the power of love. Um, truly, is I think what it comes down to. Um, And that comes from all of you guys um, and all the college ministry and all the people um, who have loved me so well. Um, And that's something that I am just so, um, so thankful for. Um, And something that I just want to share was from Ecclesiastes 4 um, in verse 9. It just says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also if two lie down together, they will keep warm but how can how can one keep warm alone and this is the part that I love though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. a cord of three strands is not quickly broken um, and that's something that I feel like defines my time um, here so far and something that is continue uh going to continue to get stronger um is the chords that are being um built together um as I get to walk alongside all of these college students um who are sprinting so passionately um after the Lord um and that just spurs me on um to just want more and more and more. Um so I, I want to thank all of you guys because um uh, I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. Um also too uh just want to thank um Aiden Yamada uh who was up here earlier last year um, he reached out to me um, and with such a caring and genuine heart, um, wanted to get to know me better um simply first, but then beyond that was wanting to see my relationship and my passion for the Lord grow um and has so consistently um and so lovingly um And like I said before, passionately uh, loved on me and cared for me. Um, And then beyond that too, just all the leaders of this church, um, whether it's Jamie um, or Ben or Micah and everyone else here um, that serves, um, it's so neat because for me coming in, there was never a feeling of a us above you um, or these people above you or you're here or whatever. But there is a a oneness um, and there is a servant-heartedness that is so comforting and so loving. Um, and so I just want to thank all of you guys. So I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, I just think it's so neat. Um, and that's something that I think that the, uh, the Antioch as a church is defined by, but as well as the college ministry is defined by um, discipleship and growing up young leaders and young disciples. Um, and that's something that uh, I'm just going to continue just to be so thankful to be a part of here. Uh, to get to walk alongside all of you guys to um, be discipled, to be brought up, uh, but then also um, to go out and make other disciples. Um, And so, yeah, thank you so much for having me.
1: Amen. Well, I love that AJ talked about the impact of discipleship, and that is what we're going to be going into this morning. And in fact, we're going to be entering into a two-week series where we're going to be focusing on discipleship. And my desire for you today is that you would feel inspired, that you too are part of this incredible calling to make disciples. Next week, James Albright, our Life Group and Missions pastor, is going to be sharing with us about how disciples are made in the context of community under the covering of the local church. But today we're going to focus in on what it means to make disciples. So I have a Definition for you of discipleship that I'd like to share that I've used over the years and feel free to use this, but I'd like for us to say this all together. One, two, three. Discipleship is the process of one person helping others become lifelong, obedient followers of Jesus who in turn help others do the same. I want to encourage you to hold on to that definition as we jump into the message. You know, I heard a story one time uh, about a test that's called the LSAT, and if you have ever had to go to law school or been in law school, you know this test very well, because what happens in this test is that it actually lasts eight hours, and they lock you inside of this room, and you might get a little bitty break for lunch, but mostly you're just sitting there taking the test. And what happens in the LSAT is there's actually two different booklets. There's a workbook, and then there's an answer book. And what you have to do is you obviously do all the work in the workbook, and then you use the answer book to write down your answers. So I heard a story that there was a group of students that were taking a test. The time was up, and the proctor said, stand up, everybody. Put your pencils down. So naturally, everybody stood up, put their pencils down, except for one girl. She was off in the corner, and she was furiously still writing down on her paper. So the proctor caught eye with it, and she said, stand up, put your pencils down. And the girl is still writing, writing, writing. And so the proctor walks right over to the girl standing right next to her and goes, stand up, put your pencils down. She goes, okay, and puts her pencil down. So she goes outside, and, and the students are like, What were you doing? Like, why were you doing that? You could have forfeited your whole exam. She said, Oh, I wasn't working still. I just forgot to put my answers down in the answer book. She said, I only transferred over 50% of my answers. Uh oh. And when I was thinking about that, I thought, You know, I wonder for us as believers if sometimes we get so caught up in the workbook of the Christian life that we forget to look at the answer. We forget to look at maybe what Jesus was trying to speak to us is the main thing. And y'all, I love this book so much. I love the word of God. And if I, as I have studied the word of God over the years, I really truly believe that the answer book of the Christian life comes down to two simple words and that is make disciples, make disciples. Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, Jesus speaks and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is saying, I have been given authority from my father and now I'm going to use that authority for one purpose and that is so that you now can go and make disciples. If you flash forward four chapters earlier in the book of Matthew in Matthew 24, you'll come across this verse, Matthew 24, 14, where it says that this gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. So the space between the calling that we've received in Matthew 28 and the end coming in Matthew 24 is what I like to call the discipleship gap. And you and I are called to be discipleship gap fillers. I truly believe that Jesus could come back in our time like that that actually could happen as we embrace this calling on our lives to make disciples. There will come a time when we will all hear, stand up, put your pencils down. The answer will, the question will be, did we really focus on the main thing? So over the next 20 minutes, we're gonna talk about the why, the who, and the what when it comes to making disciples. So everybody say why. why? Everybody say who. Everybody say what? What? Point number one, if we're going to make disciples, we have to understand why it was important to Jesus, why it mattered to him. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 3. We're going to be in verses 9 through 14. We're going to be looking at why discipleship is something that Jesus valued. Picking up in verse 9, Mark 3 says this, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to take, not to make, uh, not to make him known. And he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So I want to call your attention to a few things in this passage. And the first one is in verse 9. It says that he told his disciples. And I want us to focus in on that word disciple. And I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say he told his Christians. Okay, That word Christian is actually only used three times in the entire New Testament. But that word disciple is used a lot more. Anybody have any ideas how many times it's used? College students, you can't answer. A lot, okay? 261 times to be exact, okay? 72 times in the book of Matthew, 46 in Mark, 37 in Luke, 78 in the gospel of John, and 28 in the book of Acts. And you know, we have called ourselves Christians today But I wonder if that really was Jesus's original intention. Because if you look at Acts 11, what you'll find is that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Notice that they were disciples before they were called Christians. And they were actually given that word, Christian, not because they called themselves that, but other people called them that because they were so enamored and obsessed with this guy named Jesus. And they just wanted to be around him all the time. And in the gospels, you never see Jesus saying, go and make Christians. What you see him using is a very different phrase and that is go and make disciples, So where does that word disciple actually come from? Well, it comes from the Greek word methetos, which means student, pupil, or apprentice. And if you were in the context of this passage and what was going on here in Mark 3, you would have understood exactly what the author meant when he was using that word disciple. Because if you were from the ages of six to 10, You would be sent to a Jewish rabbi for you to start memorizing the first five books of the Torah, the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books that we have in the Old Testament. And during this time, the rabbi would ask you a number of questions like, what do you do when you encounter a man with leprosy? And the rabbi would be looking for that kid that just had the it factor that one day that kid would come underneath that rabbi and become their disciple. And that's actually where the word disciple comes from. And if you were asked to do that, it would be a huge honor. You would leave your family, you would leave your home, you would leave your friends so that you could go and learn from that rabbi. And if you ever had a question, you would go to the rabbi and you would say, rabbi, what do I do? And before the rabbi even answered that question, you knew that you were just gonna say yes to whatever answer was given to you because the rabbi had your best interest in mind. What's the point? Well, if you flash forward in the New Testament, you'll come across this one verse that makes this connection for us of this word rabbi. And that's in John 2016, which says, Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbinai, which means teacher. And just like the Jewish students would sit at the feet of their rabbi, Mary would say, there's no place that I would rather be than sitting at the feet of my rabbi. And I wonder for us guys as a church, what would it look like for us to be so covered in the dust of sitting at the feet of our rabbi that it marked our lives forever? I believe that our lives would go from what major should we have in college or how many kids we should have or what our family should look like to Jesus, whatever you say, I'm willing because you have my best interest in mind. Second thing I wanna call your attention to in this passage is verse 13. And it says that he called to those whom he desired. Everybody say desired. So notice that before Jesus calls the disciples, he desires to be with the disciples. And I just want to pause and say, Jesus wants to be with you. Jesus wants to be close. And wherever you are at, Jesus wants to draw near. He's not pushed away by your past. He's not pushed away by the things that you're going through right now. He wants to be a part of everything that is going on in your life. And I believe this verse is showing us that our ability to make disciples comes first from being disciples. We can't produce work for Christ unless we are able to rest in the finished work by Christ. And as disciples, we are not actually made to carry burdens, okay? Scripture says that we are sheep and Jesus is our shepherd. And the last time I checked, sheep, are not burden-bearing animals, okay? Like, I wouldn't go on a big hike up a mountain and say, I'm going to go rent some sheep to help me out. That wouldn't make sense. We are called to lay our burdens at the feet of Jesus. But here's what we do sometimes, and I'll be the first to say that, that I have done this, especially recently. Even this week, I found myself doing this. So just welcome to my life, all right, and what's going on. So Here's what we do. We take our burden and we go, all right, Jesus, I know your character is that I'm going to lay this at your feet. So we come, we lay it at the feet of Jesus, and it's there. And we're like, Jesus, you got it. Well, if you're just going to stand there, Jesus, and we pick it right back up and we hold on to it again. But, you know, that's not what Jesus invites us into. He says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Cast everything at my feet and I will meet you where you're at. I think if we want to make disciples, we have to first understand that we are disciples. And you know, when I was a kid, something that I liked to do was to put salt on my food. Don't ask me why, but I just did. I liked to put salt on my food. And we'd sit around the dinner table and I would reach for the salt shaker And my mom would say, Ben, don't reach for it. Just ask and I'll give it to you. It's the same way with Jesus. In Matthew 10, it says, how much more does our Father in heaven who gives, love to give good gifts to those who ask him? Where do you need Jesus to meet you right now? Where do you need him to come close? That is the foundation of what it means to make disciples. Last thing I wanna call your attention to in this passage is verse 14, I'm gonna read it one more time to keep it in context for us. And he appointed 12, everybody say 12. 12. Whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So up until this point, Jesus has healed a lot of people. So naturally you heal people, others start to follow you. Okay, that, that makes sense, all right? But then Jesus does something crazy earlier in this passage, and he tells his disciples, he says, I don't want you to go and tell anybody what is going on. So raise your hand right now if you are either a business major or you work in the business world in some way. Raise your hand. Okay. Awesome. That's a lot of you. All right. This is not a great business strategy. Okay. The masses are gathered. People are getting healed. And Jesus is like, don't tell anybody. Okay, so either Jesus is not trained in the ways of the 21st century, or he actually has a completely different strategy that he's trying to communicate with us. Because in our minds, bigger equals better. More people leads to a bigger impact. But Jesus flips that script on its head and he gives us something brand new. And in one fell swoop, he steps in and he says, I'm not looking to fascinate the masses. I'm just looking to invest in a few people who invest in a few people to change the world. I don't need to build my own platform. And this is how Jesus spends the majority of of his time. If you look throughout the gospels, although Jesus spoke some amazing sermons, he really spent the majority of his time just investing in a few people. It was his number one strategy for reaching the whole world. It is God's plan A, And there isn't a plan B. So that brings us to our second point, that if we're going to make disciples, we have to understand who Jesus was focusing on. Everybody say who. So I want you to think about it this way. When it comes to the who, think about a few. When it comes to the who, think about a few. So Jesus makes this revolutionary strategy even more simple for us. Because although he had 12 people that he was investing in, there were actually three that were even closer with him. And those men were Peter, James, and John. And if you look at the gospels, what you'll find is that Peter, James, and John were with Jesus in his most intimate moments at the Mount of Transfiguration, at the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is is in anguish. And I think Jesus is trying to help us understand that we don't have to invest in the masses to change the world. So I want you to imagine right now that all of you are lost and I am the only follower of Jesus in the room. Okay, sounds prideful, all right? Just imagine that all of you are lost, okay? And I've decided that at the beginning of the year, I believe that God has called me to make a few disciples. So I'm gonna pick a few disciples. Mike, stand on up for me. Weston, stand on up for me, bro. Were you? Yes, right there. There you are. Okay, let's get Chris. Stand on up for me. All right. So I've selected these three guys as people that I'm going to invest in for a year. Okay, so we're going to go to Avoca. We're going to go to Panera. We're going to hit all the local Fort Worth places, and it's going to be great. And we're going to talk about our lives, talk about what Jesus is doing. We're going to pray for each other, hold each other accountable, and it's going to be powerful. Now, at the end of the year, I'm going to go to these three guys and say, all right, guys, I want you now to go and do with three other people what I just did with you. So you guys go and pick three other people, and if they pick you, stand on up for me. Ready, set, go. Here we go. Here we go. Pick them fast. It's not rocket science. Jesus will lead you. Amen. That's Holy Spirit. Okay. Here we go. All right. So at the end of year one, we would have 12 people who are now more in love with Jesus because of discipleship. Okay. So at the end of year two, your discipler comes to you and says, I want you guys now to go invest in three other people. So raise that. go pick three other people. All of you. Don't get insecure if you're not getting asked. This has nothing to do with you. You too can be a disciple, all right? Okay, awesome. At the end of year two, we would have 48 people who are following Jesus because of this powerful method of investing in a few people. All right, so one more time, end of year three, all of you go and make three disciples. Ready, set, go. All right, well, college ministry got discipled, I guess. Okay, Uh, and the youth ministry, (laughs) amen, all right. There would be 148 people following Jesus at the end of year four. Give yourselves a hand. Good job, guys, y'all sit down. What I love about this strategy is that it is so much more simple. And it's less intimidating. And that is the difference between multiplication and addition. With just one follower of Jesus in the whole earth and this humble strategy, you could reach the entire world in 16 years. It's similar to the parables of the leavened bread and the mustard seed, where the smallness of the means is contrasted with the greatness of the end. Quiet and unassuming is the mustard seed, but great is its growth. Two of my favorite men in Christian history are men by the names of George Whitfield and John Wesley. And if you don't know about them, they were both founders of the Methodist movement and today, today now the Methodist Church. And these men were famous for the things that they did, but they had one key difference. George Whitfield was a profound speaker and an amazing evangelist. And if you're an evangelist, amen. More power to you. That's awesome. I'm not, this is not against evangelism. Okay. But Whitfield was a profound evangelist and what Wesley was more quiet, more unassuming. But guess who had a greater impact in their lives? John Wesley did. Why? Because he was a disciple maker. And while Whitfield traveled and he spoke to large audiences, Wesley stayed close and he invested in a few. And near the end of his life, George Whitfield wrote this down in a bibliography that he went to John Wesley and he said, my brother Wesley has acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under his ministry have persevered. This I neglected and my people have become like ropes of sand. Wesley understood that in order to reach the many, you might consider investing in a few. And I think that's what Paul was trying to tell us in 2 Timothy 2.2. And the college students know this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I use it all the time. But Paul says to Timothy, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others also. And what I love about this passage is that right here in one verse, you have four generations of discipleship that are represented. Paul says, Timothy, my brother, everything that I have learned, I'm now entrusting to you, Timothy. And I want you to now go and give these things to faithful people, third generation, who will also be qualified to teach others, fourth generation. And I believe that Paul's trying to say that I don't want to invest into a pond, but I want to invest in a stream that's going to go beyond me. I don't want to buy into the version of Christianity that turns into a pond without any outlet, but I want to be like a mountain stream that has continuous life that's flowing from it. So I want to encourage you to think to yourself these two things. And the first one is, who's your Paul? Who's your Paul? Who's the person that is in your life that you feel like you can go to whenever you have a need? And honestly, in different seasons of my life, I've needed one Paul, and in other seasons, it's felt like I've needed 10 Pauls, okay? There are different times and different things that we go through, but who's that person that you feel like you can be open with? And I do want to just make one comment here. This person is not your personal Jesus, who is there to meet every emotional need that you have. That can lead to codependency and that's not healthy. But this is something, this is someone you feel comfortable and vulnerable. You feel like you can be comfortable and vulnerable around. And what I found guys is in my life that whatever you keep in the dark will own you, but whatever you bring into the light will set you free. And Jesus has that invitation for all of us in identifying who our Paul is. The second question I encourage you to ask is who's your Timothy? Who is your Timothy? Who's the person that you feel like God is placing on your heart to reach out to? And maybe this is someone who is currently walking with Jesus. Maybe this is someone who's a non-believer. But in all of our individual contexts, in every single life stage, God wants to invite us in to make disciples. Who's your Timothy? So this brings us to our third and final point. If we want to make disciples, we have to understand what Jesus was doing. Everybody say, what? what? All right, I'm going to invite AJ to come on up here again. Let's give AJ a hand. So uh, the college students know, I like to use illustrations, props, usually when I'm speaking. So here we go. Uh, I like to call this... The discipleship platform that Jesus gives us, all right? Discipleship platform. You're doing a great job, by the way. Awesome. So in following Jesus, I believe that Jesus wants to help us understand this. First, we have what is called a low challenge and a high invitation culture. Low challenge, high invitation. And what happens as a result of that is that you can come into my life, we'll do discipleship, we'll walk together, but maybe you don't ever really take a step of obedience or maybe you're never held accountable to the next thing. And what that means is that it ultimately leads to a consumer culture where you just come, 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 but there's no result of it or giving it away to other people. Secondly, we have a high challenge and a low invitation culture. And what this looks like is that I am not going to invite you into my life, but I'm going to demand that you rise up. And every parent knows what that's like because rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And as a result of that, you get a legalistic culture that's just built on rules and how can I try and measure up? And then finally, you have a low challenge and a low invitation culture, which ultimately leads to boredom. Okay, not much going on there, all right? You're invited in maybe kind of, or there's not really that much growth going on. And uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and say this, and forgive me if if you disagree with me, but I think guys today that there are some people who are leaving the church because of this exact reason. They're coming to church and they don't feel like there's purpose and there's life there. So it leads to boredom. But Jesus does not model for us a consumer, a legalistic, or a boring culture. What Jesus models for us is a culture of high challenge and high invitation. And that is our discipleship culture. Because Jesus would say things like, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That's a challenge, okay? High challenge, all right? Think about it, okay. And then he would say things, like I said earlier, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. High invitation. It's both and, and that is our discipleship culture. Let's give AJ a hand. Yeah. So everybody say high challenge. High challenge. Everybody say high invitation. high invitation. As we wrap up, I want to give you three simple practicals for how you too can be a part of this culture that Jesus has called us to. And the first one in making disciples is to pray. We must talk to God about men before we talk to men about God. Identify the people. uh, (laughs) I'm just gonna keep going. Identify the people in your life that you feel like God has called you to and commit to pray for them for six weeks and watch what God will do. You will be amazed just write them down on a, a piece of paper and in your time with God in the morning, pray for those people. It's a very simple way that we can make disciples. Secondly, is to build relationships. People are not our project. They belong to God. Disciples will become who we are and not what we say to them. I remember when I was in college, I had the privilege of getting to live with Uh, the founders of the Antioch Movement, which is Jimmy and Laura Seibert. And I remember that my experience with them was not about what they said to me, but it was me just watching the way that they were living their life. It was seeing the way that they were following Jesus that caused me to go, I want that. I want whatever they have. Your life is the greatest testimony that you have to offer other people. And you know, Jesus modeled for us what it looks like to meet people right where they are at. If you look at Luke five, verses five and six, it says, And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Simon was a fisherman. He needed fish. Jesus puts fish in the fisherman's boat he meets him right where he's at and he provides a practical need for him simon had an occupation but jesus had a preoccupation and that was getting into simon's world and helping him to take one more step and coming close to jesus the last practical for you is to be be la, 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 is to be consistent be consistent I have three questions that I like to ask in all of my discipleship times that I'll use these often and you can use these, you can use your own questions, you can apply these to your life stage. But the three questions are, how is your relationship with God? How is purity going? And purity affects everything that we do, purity of the mind, the heart, the soul. And then finally, who are you reaching out to? And typically what I do in my discipleship times is I'll just get a a group of people together and we'll talk through these things. And I share this with you because this is is simple, but I also wanna help us understand that when it comes to disciple making, consistency trumps content every time. Most of us can probably trace our change or our transformation in Jesus back to one or two life-changing relationships that we had with somebody else, somebody who is consistent in investing in our lives. The power is in the mundane. As we wrap up together, I believe that there is an invitation for all of us to be a part of this culture that Jesus has invited us into. So as we wrap up, I wanna invite you to be standing with me. I wanna invite the worship team to come forward as well. you know, I believe that there's two types of people here this morning. And maybe there's some of you here and you would say, man, I just don't know if I've actually ever taken that step to become a disciple of Jesus. Like you're hearing this message about making disciples, but you're like, man, I just wanna take a step today to actually choose Jesus. And if that's you, in just a moment, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that. For the rest of us I also was praying this morning and just felt like God said that he wanted to put faith inside of our hearts that we are made for this. We're made to make disciples. So as we go into ministry time, I just want to invite everybody to close their eyes with me. Jesus, we thank you for the calling that you have given us in Matthew 28 and in Matthew 24. And God, we Embrace that calling with open arms this morning. And Jesus, we know that you are the author of life, that you have come and you have rescued us. And so for those of us here today that would say, man, I just haven't actually crossed over the line and said, Jesus, I want you to come and live inside of my heart. I'm gonna give you that opportunity right now. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count down from three. And when I get to one, if you want to receive Jesus into your heart, I just want you to boldly raise your hand right where you're at. Three, Jesus is the name that is above every other name. Two, he died on the cross for you and rose back to life, defeating sin and death once and for all so that you could have a relationship with God again. One, if you want to receive Jesus in your heart right now, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? With every eye closed, just right where you're at, if you want to receive Jesus, amen, amen, amen. And with your hand raised right there, you can just pray this simple prayer after me. You can pray this in your heart or you can pray it out loud. You can just say, Jesus, today I run to you. I choose to leave my old life behind. And instead, I receive your amazing grace. And God, today I choose to walk in your love and to enjoy all the life and the peace and the truth that you have for me. Jesus' name, amen. You can put your hand down. We're celebrating with you. That's awesome. That's a great decision today. For the rest of us with your eyes closed still, if you would say, Uh, just as I was talking, that you just want fresh faith for God to fill you with faith that you are part of this calling to make disciples. Would you too just raise your hand right where you're at. It's right where you are. Jesus, I thank you for every hand that is raised right now. And Jesus, we choose to be those who invest in a few, who invest in a few, not so that we can get fame ourselves, but so that you can be glorified. And God, I'm asking that faith would arise in all of our hearts this morning, Jesus, that you would put just a fresh amount of, of your Holy Spirit, Jesus, so that we too might be able to make disciples. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. Amen. You can open your eyes. Whatever your need is this morning, this place is open for you. We have prayer leaders that are up here to pray with you. I want to encourage you to come forward.